came to America when he was six months old. He started as a stock boy at the grocery store. Eventually, he owned it. He turned it into the biggest grocery store chain in New York City. He now owns a real estate company worth over $2 billion. He ran for mayor of New York City. He almost won. You can't make this story up. This is the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. Everywhere around the world, they come into America. Every time that flag's unfurled, they come into America. Good morning, America. This is the Cats Roundtable. John Katsimatidis here. It's Sunday morning. We have one great show for you today. During the week, we had President Donald Trump in a 40-minute interview, but we're only going to be pay, playing a teaser of a few minutes, about five minutes, and you can listen to the full interview on our podcast on WABCradio.com, as well as our mailings that we do. We also have Senator Kerry Lake. We have Senator Blackburn. Dr. Peter Mihalos and how we live longer. What's going on in Europe? We have Mario Economo. And we have David Donovan on how they want to now destroy AM and FM radio in the country. And let's start off our interview with a little bit tidbit from Donald Trump during the week. You know, President Trump, I want to ask you, too, about some headlines about the debate. Um, there was word that you may not uh, do a Republican debate. Is that true or, or not? Well, I'm leading by 40 points. And a lot of people say, why would you do a debate when you have people at 2 and 3 and 15 and 14? And uh, DeSanctis is coming way down. You know, he's, he's really showed his stuff. Don't forget, when I supported him, he was a failed candidate. And then when I supported him, he won. And everyone said, oh, that was a good job. The only thing good, he got my endorsement and he went way up, you know, over a period of immediately. He went way up. We took a little ad. We showed that ad. You probably saw it. I mean, he even said, when you supported me, it wasn't the thing to do. And that's right. And then he wanted to run. I don't know if he honestly, I don't know whether or not he's going to run because he's lost all of his support. He's campaigned very poorly. And he's lost so much support that I don't know if he's going to run. If he does, that's fine. But with the debates, why would I debate when everybody is? And if you look back at history in terms of these primaries, people don't debate when they have these massive leads. They say, why Why would we debate? And I have a hostile. I would have a hostile group of anchors, a hostile network asking questions. Why would I do that? And you're up with the people. And, you know, my, my popularity is the highest because, you know, part of the reason it's the highest is because the people in office right now are doing so badly. I mean, they're so bad that it's very high. So I don't know that I do the debate. The Reagan Library is, is you know, nice, but the Reagan Library is run by The Washington Post. Who wants the Washington Post? Why is the Washington Post running the Reagan Library? You know, the publisher of the Washington Post is the chairman of the Reagan Library. And that's where one of the debates would be. I don't want to be there. But the Washington Post runs the Reagan Library. Can you believe that? Well, that's news to me. I didn't know that before, but uh, thank you for that news. Uh, And uh, Mr. President is uh, the chairman. Think of this. Fred Ryan is the CEO and publisher of the Washington Post. He's the chairman of the Reagan Library. Understood. Who wants to go? I wouldn't I wouldn't go there when he's the chairman. Washington Post is the enemy of the people, along with the New York Times and others. And uh, 
So, you know, so I don't know. Look, when you're way up, Rita, you know this very well. When you're way up, you don't do debates. If you're even or down, you do debates. But when you're way up, what's the purpose of doing the debate? Now, the debate of the other candidate, you do. You know, you have a Democrat, you have a Republican, you have really an obligation to do that. But you don't have an obligation when you have people like, I won't mention names, but everybody's at 1% and DeSantis is way down. I mean, he's losing by 30, 40 points. Well, Mr. Ed Cox, uh, the New York State chairman, was here with me before, and he said, uh, I recommended to my uh, father-in-law, President Nixon, not to debate. And if uh, he didn't debate, he would have won. Well, Ed's a good guy, too, uh, I will say. But, uh, well, he did. He did debate. And he wasn't a bad debater. He got a little, you know, he got a little, uh, I think he got a little fake news and a lot of, because if you watch that debate, he didn't do poorly in that debate at all. But no, it's it's true. You have, we'll have, uh, let's say, a hostile network asking questions. Like you remember when I originally did the debate, I came out great. I did very well in the debates. They say I won every single debate. But when Megyn Kelly asked me that very harsh question and then Brett Baer uh, asked a very harsh question about, will you support? I was the only one that said, no, I'm not going to support somebody. I don't. But everybody else raised their hand. They'll support anybody on the stage. And I said, no, I'm not going to support anybody on the stage. I'll support some, but I'm not going to support others. And, uh, you know, it was, it was great. It was it got a it got a lot of applause. I will tell you that it was pretty wild. We had a we had a good time. But when you're way up, you don't do a debate. Why would you do a debate? A lot of people said they agree with me on that. There's no upside to doing a debate. Ed, Ed said he tended to agree with me on that, too. That's interesting. There's no there's no upside to doing a debate. Uh, yep. You could debate your opponents on Democratic Party. Uh, but there's no upside in doing a debate in, uh, uh, in the Republican Party if you have a if you're 30, 40 points ahead. Now, if you're tied, if you're a little ahead, if you're a little behind, you should definitely debate. But what's the purpose of doing it? You mean you're going to have people that are at one percent and less than one percent asking you questions? It's sort of like crazy. And you can listen to the full interview on our podcast on WABCRadio.com, as well as our mailings that we do. You're listening to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. What is today is Carrie Lake. She was the candidate for governor in Arizona. And so many things have happened since then. And she was short. She was short 17,000 votes out of two and a half million. And she thought she got a bad count. And with it, she's going to tell us the whole story. Carrie, <laughs> you used to be in broadcasting. You used to be on television. You were at Fox. Uh, you have so many friends in New York from Fox. Uh, I know Rita Cosby is a friend of yours. What do you think happened with those 17,000 votes that you're short? Well, I don't think anything happened. I know what happened. And they sabotaged Election Day in Arizona. We know after 2020 what a debacle our elections are. And I'm a true patriotic American, and I believe it's our duty to question and call out corruption when we see it. And I tried to call that out in 2020. I know President Trump did and many others, including many Arizonans who led the charge to have a forensic audit. They were so afraid of our campaign, our movement. We were 10, 12 points up in the polls going into Election Day. I ran against somebody who was a rival to um, Basement Biden. She never came out. She never campaigned. She had no policy. And she didn't have to because she was actually running the elections in our state. She um, couldn't string two or three words together and come up with a cohesive sentence that made sense. And she didn't have to do that because 
they knew what was coming on election day. They knew they were going to rig our elections, and they did just that. And people in New York might just say, oh, yeah, that's what they say. But if you ask the people of Arizona what they saw on election day when they we're not we're not opposing how they counted votes, but they counted bogus ballots. 300,000 ballots with no chain of custody ahead of Election Day. And that still wasn't enough to defeat our movement, which was the biggest political movement in the history of Arizona. It was made up of independents, Democrats and Republicans, mama bears and dads and grandparents and students who were fed up with a wide open border, crime on the streets, um, a destructive curriculum being taught to the children And they joined with me to push uh, common sense policies to get through our problems in Arizona. And they were so afraid of us on Election Day when they couldn't beat us with all of the early ballots that they pumped in that were bogus. They realized they had to sabotage Election Day and they intentionally printed the wrong image on the ballot on Election Day. A quarter of a million ballots were rejected on Election Day because they did that. Lines were four and five and six hours long. 61% of polling locations were inoperational or not fully functioning. And guess what? They happened to be in the Republican areas. This was a sabotage. So you feel that uh, uh, the Democrats outsmarted the Republicans in Arizona? Not really, because, you know, of course the Democrats do what the Democrats do. And they, they can be a bit diabolical in how they operate behind the scenes. But it wasn't the Democrats. I hate to report this, John, but... The people responsible for Maricopa County elections, which encompasses 64% of our state population. So if you can rig Maricopa County, you can take the whole state and you can change the trajectory of our country, as we saw in 2020. The two men in charge of our elections happen to be Republicans. And that's the saddest part of this. I wish I could sit here across the way from you, a great American, and say it was the Democrats who rigged it, but it was the rhino Republicans, this uniparty who is opposed to America First policies, and they is, saw me as a threat. Still, is it still uh, uh, Arizona was the, the home of uh, our friend McCain? A little bit. I think the McCain movement is, is on McCain its last And McCain and uh, President Trump didn't get along together. They didn't. But, you know, we, we've seen how many of the uh, McCains have really turned, and we've, we're learning that they're really pushing a globalist agenda. They're, they all are with Biden now. That tells me they're not really Republicans. If you can vote with Joe Biden, then you don't care about America policies. And here's why. We know for a fact that Joe Biden has sold his soul to the CCP. You don't have to look any further than the Hunter Biden Laptop, And we now know that they hoodwinked us on that in 2020. We knew all about that in 2020. I was seeing it. I was reading up on it. And I'm sure you were as well. I know the New York Post great news outlet was actually doing some good reporting on it. And now we find out that those 51 members of our intelligence community lied when they signed their name to that document saying that it was Russian disinformation. That's a lie. This is not Russian disinformation. It is a fact. Hunter Biden's laptop. Well, that all came out now. It's come out in the last uh, few weeks. Uh, all the things that were going on. They didn't want the voters to know about it because they knew it would be the end of many common sense Americans voting for Biden. Now, I, I'll tell you uh, uh, something else that you may not know. Uh, I addressed uh, eight U.S. senators in an event we had a few months ago, mm-hmm. and they were surprised that I sent it to them. Uh, President Biden uh, went out and gave a speech that he knew was false. He also gave a speech that even Nancy Pelosi said it was false, mm-hmm. that he promised all uh, students their $10,000 back 
uh, if they voted if they voted his way. And you know how many applications were filed? 26 million applications were filed in the United States. If you were going to get a $10,000 refund, uh, how do you think you're going to vote on Election Day? And that is really How many of those students in Arizona? I'm sure many. And, and I, okay. I got to tell you, John, I have children of my own. I, I don't really blame these young people. They were told they had to go to college. They the got to get ahead. The other stupid thing the Republicans did, and I shocked these eight, uh, US, uh, this, these eight U.S. senators because they didn't realize until I said it. The other item was the abortion pill or the abortion issue in mm-hmm. Texas that they filed with the Supreme Court. My wife is from Indiana. And she is right of Attila the Hunt. But you try to tell my wife about abortion, she'll vote Democratic. Interesting. So all those college kids that are having a good time in Arizona, how many things you how many you think uh, voted Democratic versus Republican? Well, we had a great following with the young people because you know what? Fact of the matter is the young people, I think, in many ways suffered more than anyone during COVID. If we think about what we were doing when we were 18, 19, 20, 25, we were having a good time. I'm, yes. I'm we guessing were all having a good time. Those are the best years. I right? went to NYU. Well, we probably shouldn't talk about what we were doing, but just trust us. We were having a good time. But our, our poor young people were tortured probably the most in those years when we're supposed to be having the time of our lives. But that's everything was taken away from when them. when the U.S. senators policy. when the U.S. senators said what happened to the red wave. That's what happened. Twenty six million uh, young people that wanted their ten thousand dollars back, even though Nancy Pelosi said Joe Biden can't deliver that. So they bought into a lie. They bought into but I will life. tell you, I, I believe that some of this happened. I'm telling you right now. How many votes did you lose by? I didn't. I, I believe I won by upwards of hundreds of thousands. But in the end but, count, but it was seventeen thousand. The end when count. When you count bogus. Well, how many of those are students? Well, I, all I'm saying is, um, we know with with absolute certainty that they rigged an election in Maricopa County. And if we keep stepping away from these fights, John, if we keep saying, "Well, we'll get them next time," we won't. I'm fighting. Well, I'm not fighting. No, it's not comfortable being in in the middle of this. I'm in the crosshairs right now. But I'm not willing to see another election be rigged by these crooked, corrupt people and walk away from it. And I'm fighting it, and I'm fighting it for the Democrats as well. I'm fighting it for those young people. Was it three state courts that uh, that did not go along with you so far? No, we're actually, our Arizona Supreme Court just ruled in our favor. But I'm sure if you're reading the New York Times, the headline was the biggest Well, that's what I'm asking. Yeah. Uh, they didn't go with everything we threw at them, but they gave us they gave us one of our, our counts. Which one they, is that? It is the one on signature verification on mail-in ballots, and that where there's so many problems. We have three whistleblowers and more coming forward saying we were rejecting mail-in ballots because the signatures didn't match at all, and they were being thrown in and counted anyways. Mail-in ballots with no signatures to the tune of 150,000 were counted when they should have been tossed out because they were not legitimate. And so we, what, all I'm saying is we have a mess. Our, our elections are a mess. And all I care about is that when my children grow up, and they're actually 18 and 20, as they get older and when I have grandchildren, I want to make sure we have an America. And if we have a rigged election system, our country's done. I'm going to tell you something, and uh, we only got about a minute or so left. I had a U.S. senator sitting where you're sitting uh, last week, and we're worried about 2076, the 300th year of our country, that if we keep going the way we're going, we're not going to make it. 
Are you serious? I'm worried about our 250th year. That's only two years away, three I'm worried, years away. I'm worried. I, I believe and I implore, I beg New Yorkers, because these are the strongest people in the world. You're one of them. The strongest New Yorker I know, and, I, and you might rival him, is President Donald J. Trump. And I know that you recently Don't endorsed him. Don't call him a New Yorker. He might have to pay taxes. <laughs> That's right. I'm sorry, Floridian. I know that you uh, recently had him on and endorsed him, and I know that you've got a 40-year relationship with him. You know he's got that fight, that New York spirit. We needed President Trump. When he came down that escalator in 2015, we needed a strong, bold, brash New Yorker to come in and shake things up and explain to us what's happening. He alerted us to the corruption. Now we're seeing it. Everywhere we look, we see the corruption. And we need you to rebuild where, America. You know where President Trump missed it? I don't and, think he's uh, missed it. But. He missed one item. That uh, when President Obama left office, he took 2,000 people and made them civil servants so President Trump could never fire them and put them in every agency. So when he thought he was buying a company, he bought, bought companies, bought many companies, yeah. President Trump. When he thought that the people are going to be loyal to him because they're government workers, they weren't. Well, and I know that when he gets back in there, he's going to turn things around. You know, and I don't, people say, oh, you hired the wrong people. Can you imagine? You know, you've, you've bought companies, you've been involved in business your whole life. Can you imagine walking into the swamp of D.C.? You don't know who's with you and who's against you. You've got people who are Republicans who act like they're with you, but they're really stabbing you in the back. Now he knows it happens who's all who. Time. He knows who's who now. When he gets in there, I believe that we're going to turn things around. We have, we have three options right now, in my opinion. We go, if people vote Democrat, we're going to have a fast sprint toward communism and globalism, which is the same thing. If we vote with someone like DeSantis, who's, who's basically the darling of the establishment, we're going to have a... DeSantis a, is not making it. We, we have a march toward globalism, which is communism. And if we vote for President Trump, we're going to halt communism in its tracks, turn America around, and have the best days ahead of us. And so I appreciate you and, and your amazing business and the fact that you love this country. I walked in here I and that beautiful, that beautiful flag, when I walked in, I got, I got goosebumps seeing it. And so thank you. We need more people like you, John. Carrie um, Lake. Leading this country. Carrie Lake, keep fighting I because will. you want... The, you know what we say at the end of our 6 o'clock show usually? Truth, justice, and the American way. God bless you exactly and keep fighting. Thank you, John. God bless you, too. What is today? We have Michael uh, Waltz, and uh, he's a, uh, was a Green Beret, combat veteran, and he's a congressman now in uh, the Northeast Florida in the 6th District, and uh, he's on the Armed Services Committee, Foreign Affairs Committee, and, and the Intelligence Committee, and Congressman, there's so many things going on in Washington. Uh, you must be, you must take a couple of aspirins every day. <laughs> yeah, I still have all my hair, but it's definitely going white. Uh, tell us, uh, where do you want to start? I mean, I, I hear so many things that uh, America is under attack. I mean, they want to do so many stupid things that I can't believe. I, I heard they wanted to make all our military vehicles into electric vehicles. All you need is, what, what do you call it, an EMR attack where, where they knock off all yeah. the electricity and then you have no yeah. vehicles. So uh, despite the fact that China's on the march, largest land war in Europe, Iran racing towards a nuke, uh, North Korea testing more missiles uh, this year than in the last five, uh, we have Biden's secretary of the Army testifying before my committee. I'm chairman of the Re Military Readiness Committee in the House. 
this week about her plan to make the Army carbon neutral by 2030, to take our tanks and fighting vehicles all electric, and to make all of our military bases uh, have solar plants, which, of course, all of which is made or controlled or resourced by China. You really I mean, can't make it's this crazy. stuff up. And last I, last I, uh, and, and, you know, we may laugh it off and say this is ridiculous, but they're putting money in the defense budget towards it. Industry is responding. And what happens with these big military programs, if they go on too long, they become too big. They become too big to fail. Uh, and as you said, last I checked, there's no charging stations in places like Ukraine. We don't control the rare earth mineral supply that it takes to make the batteries. Uh, it's just ridiculous. And if we're at war with China, will, will they give us the minerals to make the batteries? <laughs> Hell no, they won't. Of course not. And that's why uh, they, they are. Can, here's the other not, problem. Not 98% of our antibiotics are still coming from China. If we're at war that's with right. China, will they stop sending us the antibiotics? That's right. We, we, we've got to pull those supply chains back. Uh, we've got to get them back home. And if we can't get them in the United States, hell, let's at least get them into the Western Hemisphere uh, where we can have access to them. Heck, let's get an antibiotic plant in Central America. And now you're, <laughs> now you're killing two birds with one stone in your, in your uh, migration problem. But, you know, the electric tank issue is part and parcel to this administration's focus for our military on their progressive agenda not being the most lethal, deadly military and the force force in the world that all of our enemies will respect right now uh there's a lack of respect in the world uh for uh, our white house i mean it started with saudi arabia they've aligned themselves with china and russia uh it's, i understand uh, uh brazil uh, venezuela cuba but even argentina a couple of days ago is saying that uh uh, they want to uh, uh, start paying uh, the Chinese in one. That's right. Yeah, this is, look, this is yet another major step uh, on Chairman Xi, the chairman of the Chinese Communist Party, to replace the United States. Uh, and they are going to try to win or lose this economically way before there's any type of shooting war. Their version of victory is the United States throwing its hands up and stepping aside just as uh, Russia, the Soviet Union did in the 1980s, saying we can't afford to compete. Uh, so that is undermining the dollar. Uh, that is controlling key supply chains, not only so that they produce them independently and don't need us, but they create dependencies and making the rest of the world need them. Uh, and, and, and again, we, we have to get those supply chains out. I have a number of measures, one of which is to create a critical mineral stockpile, much like we have a strategic petroleum reserve. Uh, but we, we're putting safeguards in there to keep Biden from selling it off uh, so that we have it in times of emergency because she is coming for Taiwan uh, and then he's coming for the rest of uh, uh, Asia and the United States. You fought for our country. Did you ever think it, it'd really break down to this point? Well, you know, this, this is why my wife says I'm a masochist. She says, you know, John, she says, look, wait a minute. You got shot at for 27 years around the world. Then you did a startup. Now you got to do this. 
and I said, honey, I'll be damned if I'm going to leave a country led by socialists or a world led by Chinese communists uh, to our to our kids or grandkids. But this is the fight before us. And you've got a military more focused on counting, uh, you know, diversity and equity and inclusion and climate than it is in being the most lethal, deadly military in the world. I don't want the least carbon emitting tanks. I want the deadliest tanks. Uh, and, and just the priorities are completely off. But that's why I serve on all of those committees. We're going to put it in the defense bill. We're going to ban DEI uh, in, in uh, the United States military. We're going to get them back to focused on being uh, a meritocracy that it always has been. Uh, and by the way, just for everybody listening right now, the military is overrepresented in terms of, uh, of terms of black and brown and other other minorities. It has more than the general uh, population. So this notion that it doesn't represent society is garbage. It's a lie. Uh, but uh, we'll keep fighting the fight. I know Senator Ernst and and so many others feel as I do. Uh, this is it's got to stop uh, before it's too late. Congressman, thank you so much. Fight for America. We'll talk to you again real soon. Welcome back to the Cats Roundtable with John Katsimatidis. And we continue with the Cats Roundtable with truth, justice, and the American way, because that's what a heart believes in. What is today is Senator Marsha Blackburn of Tennessee, the great state of Tennessee. A lot of people are moving there. And uh, uh, Senator Blackburn, uh, you are very, very much concerned, I understand, of on what's going on with social media, how it's affecting our kids, how it's affecting our society. Can you tell us about what, what's going on in Washington on how we can uh, have better controls on it? Yes, indeed. And what we are working on is the Kids Online Safety Act. And this is something Senator Blumenthal and I have done in a bipartisan manner. And it would establish some transparency and accountability, a duty of care, and require these social media platforms to disclose their algorithms. It would also put in place a toolbox that kids and parents can use to protect these kids online. Because what we have learned from research from the CDC, from hearing from parents and teachers and pediatricians and psychiatrists, is that children are being so adversely impacted by what they are seeing on social media. There are videos on YouTube about how to commit suicide. There are all of these... Did you just say that there's videos on YouTube, how to commit suicide for kids? Yeah, you know, how, oh my here's God. music to commit suicide by. Here is, um, you know, instructions, self-harm, different things that kids can do, eating disorders, um, pushing some of this adverse activity, adverse relationships. We know that children are meeting drug dealers online. They are meeting pedophiles online. They are being pulled into relationships that are not healthy for them. And they're meeting people who disguise themselves as kids. And then you find out it may be an adult who is going online acting as if they're a kid, but they're not, of course. 
And then this is how some of these kids are being apprehended. It's how they're having access to drugs. It is how gangs are recruiting them. It is how some of the cartels are recruiting people to go drive some of these illegal entrants into the country further into the country. So this is what is taking place in the online space. There's so many uh, lies going on on the Internet. Uh, I mean, uh, it, it's just driving uh, our Amer- the American people crazy. I mean, I, I just don't understand what we, what we can do anymore. Well, John, this is why we hear from parents every single day about what is happening online. I uh, was down in uh, the west part of the state yesterday of Tennessee, and I was talking with a a principal, a, not a principal, a superintendent of a school system, and they were telling me how so many of the behavior problems that are in school, the bullying that takes place, that it starts online. And previously, kids could go home and they would be away from the bully. They could go somewhere with their friends. They were away from whomever is bullying them. But now that it is online, it never stops. And that is why these children move. They fall into depression. They have anxiety. They develop mental health issues. And much of it is exacerbated by relationships and by activity online. The education system that our kids are getting today is the worst it's ever been. Yeah, you know, the thing is, you're right. The education system and some of these life skills that have always been necessary to help children cope, these coping skills, they're not teaching these life skills in school. And so children will go home, they get uh They are doing their homework. They're picking up their phone. They're looking at who is reaching out to them. And so their mind is always processing this. And it builds the anxiety. And it causes them to have uh, issues of coping and and dealing. And so your, your teachers and your principals will say many times, when they have to call kids in for situations in school, they find out that the bullying or somebody saying something, it all started online. Unbelievable. It's just, it's hurting our kids and it's going to hurt our country long term. Uh, we got a minute left. Anything you want to tell the uh, American people? Well, uh, as I said, our Kids Online Safety Act, we're filing this week. People can go to blackburn.senate.gov or they can follow me on social media at Marsha Blackburn and join the thousands of parents who are supporting this. And uh, we look forward to getting this passed into the president's desk for his signature. Senator Marsha Blackburn from the great state of Tennessee, thank you for keeping up and uh, letting the, uh, the American people know what's going on. And we'll catch up with you again real soon. You got it. Take care. Bye-bye. Take care. Dr. Peter Michalos, uh, what's your ideas this Sunday morning? Well, this uh, Sunday.
Sunday morning, it's been a, it's an interesting weekend because this weekend occurred the largest anti-aging conference uh, of doctors from around the world and country uh, gathered in uh, Miami, Florida. And I was just talking to my friend, uh, Dr. Magdalena from Southampton, integrated medicine doctor. And they were talking about some of the amazing new advances. And one of them that I found particularly fascinating was that um, coconut oil contains something called medium chain fatty acids. And they did a study where they fed people this MCT oil, two tablespoons a day for 11 months. And it was a small group of patients, but those patients actually got better with their brain function. They did a Montreal cognitive assessment test and this thing called a cognogram, which is a computer-based test. And they found that these people got 80% improvement and uh, stabilization in their uh, cognition and function. And again, it was a small study. The average age of the person was 72.6 years old. Half of them were women. But the fact that the body, it turns out that the brain becomes resistant to insulin as we age. So the brain uses glucose as a food, but it has trouble processing it. And when the brain gets stressed, then what happens is it doesn't get enough brain fuel, it sets an inflammation. So then what happens is something called ketones, an alternate source of fuel, actually feeds the brain better. The same thing we do with intermittent fasting when we haven't eaten a certain number of hours, we go into the refrigerator, our fat cells, and then we break it down and we use ketones as a fuel instead of glucose. So in addition to the, the, the intermittent fasting diet might also be helping some of these patients, it turns out that taking this uh, MCT oil that's found in coconut oil and is readily available may turn out to be a very good brain fuel and seems to be helping patients. More research will be coming out of it. The other interesting finding was about long-haul COVID, and it turns out that it affects the endothelial, which is the lining of our blood vessels. And we have 60,000 miles of blood vessels in our body, and it turns out that it makes the surface rough. So when our platelets see a rough surface, like when we get injured or trauma or cut, it clots. So it turns out that COVID is a clotting disease and long-haul COVID patients have this dysfunction on the wall of their blood vessels. So that's some fascinating work that will lead to more studies, more research, and more improvements on how to treat people with long-haul COVID, which is a syndrome that seems to affect now, they estimate, 18 million people in the United States. And that includes brain fog, anxiety, depression, increased heart rate, fatigue, so uh, this is another fascinating area of, uh, that's being studied to help us live longer and uh, have a better quality of life and more about health span and not just lifespan. Wow, I uh, understood. And, and this is as a result of ha- getting COVID or is it a result of the vaccines? Well, the, the exposure to the spike protein seems to create antibodies that uh, seem to stimulate the clotting cascade, and that's one of the issues, and that's why those who recognized early on that this was a clotting disease, they um, started giving blood thinners early. The Royal College of Surgeons in Dublin Island did a study, and they showed that the people without COVID versus those who had COVID or the vaccinated had an increase in something called the von Willebrand clotting factor. So now there's an actual paper and study that shows there is a reason and something is chemically happening that's increasing the clotting. So we're learning more about it. Once we know more about it, we'll be in better shape. Understood. What else would you like to tell people? 
Well, I would just like to tell people the importance of the annual physical and try to uh, get your annual EKG, go for your colonoscopies, get your mammograms to the women and get your blood uh, testing and find out what's going on. So you have a dashboard because during COVID, many people forgot to get a lot of these tests and we're seeing a surge of a lot of cancers that were delayed and misdiagnosis and now the national age for a man in the United States, the lifespan is only 74.2 years and the average age is 76 for all people. So we need to turn that around and between COVID and fentanyl and other things, we need to start being healthier and go back and get our uh, testing so that we can stay healthy and keep listening to WABC for the latest information on being healthy and longevity. Now, uh, is this new coconut oil uh, that we mentioned before at the beginning of our, uh, is this something new? Are people starting to take it? Uh, some people in the integrative medicine doctors. The problem is that in regular healthcare, when doctor has 15 minutes, they just you know get you in and out, check your blood pressure, look at your labs. They don't have time to tell you about the latest uh, things. Like a lot of times, it takes five years from something that is new and it's being tested and it's shown efficacy before doctors can actually start to recommend it. And also, there's no intellectual property. You can't get a patent on that. So nobody's interested in making any money. Nobody's going to advertise it or promote it. Just like we know, lysine, a simple amino acid, works fantastic for uh, abscess ulcers and cold sores sometimes. So, uh, But nobody talks about it because you can't get a patent. You can't make money on it. So sometimes you have to do your own due diligence, try to go to a doctor that is open-minded and also does some integrative medicine. And in addition to doing the regular medicine, talks about some of these new studies and, and tells people that it doesn't hurt to try it, you know, some MCT oil in small amounts under the supervision of a physician because it's basically a food. I'm not telling anybody to take a medicine. It's just adding a food to your diet. And um, if it helps, and the studies now, more studies are being done, but it's showing that it uh, may help Understood. Uh, well, Dr. Peter Mihalos, thank you so much for filling us in this Sunday morning, and, and we'll catch up again real soon. Thanks, John. Thanks for always getting the truth out on the Cats Roundtable. We continue with Common Sense Conversation on the Cats Roundtable, where we listen to all sides. With us today is Mario Economo, a former banker out of Zurich, London, and New York. And uh, he gives us our European report every uh, Sunday. Uh, Mario, what the heck is going on in Europe, and how is it going to affect uh, the United States? Yes, good morning, uh, Cats Roundtable. A couple of things coming out of Britain, out of England uh, this week. The first is that uh, Britain will be supplying the Ukraine with depleted uranium shells. If you recall, the Russians had said that if the uh, British do something like that, they would actually consider it uh, a nuclear type of attack. So the ball will essentially now be back in Russia's court to respond to the fact that the uh, English will be supplying depleted uranium shells to the Ukraine. Uh, something else came out of uh, England this week also, and that is that the uh, chief economist, I believe he is, at the Bank of England, uh, essentially made certain statements which concluded and said that everybody needs to essentially accept that we are all poorer now, and this has to do with the uh, energy crisis, the food crisis, uh, and the fact that inflation is very stubborn and doesn't seem to be going away. It's true that well, he's not we've a been, member. We've been, we've been saying that for the last uh, six months, that we moved the wealth from North America, from Europe, 
to the Russians, the Chinese, and uh, the OPEC nations. Yes, but we're not chief economists of a central bank, and when they speak, people listen. And unfortunately, I don't think anybody has been listening to you and me. If they had, they would have ended this war a long time ago. Trade relations would have been uh, reestablished, and we wouldn't be in the situation that we're in. So uh, I think on the back of what the chief economist at the Bank of England said, um, I don't know if our readers, or, or rather, I'm sorry, our listeners, are aware of certain statements that uh, the U.S. National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said at an event at the Brookings Institution this past week. Uh, and basically, if it's okay, I'm just going to read the quote. It's very important and it's very short. It's, uh, I've taken this off of Bloomberg. And it says, burden sharing when it comes to taking some economic hit to protect your national security is harder to quantify and then harder to implement. But it's the fundamental concept that is what makes alliances function effectively. Now, what he's essentially saying here is that uh, the Europeans, who are, of course, America's closest ally, need to accept the fact that there is going to be economic pain as a result of the position they're going to be taking with the United States against Russia, China, and the rest of the countries that are aligning themselves with Russia and China. It's an interesting and it's a far-reaching statement, and it ties in very interestingly with what the chief economist at the Bank of England said, especially the fact that we all need to accept that we're poorer now. Uh, moving on, let's just talk about two other quick things. Uh, we know this week, this past week, the Russian defense minister met with the Chinese defense minister once again, twice in less than a month, but this time they met in India with the Indian defense minister, which is an interesting uh, development to say the least. We also know that Argentina uh, is now going to be buying its Chinese imports from China in Chinese yuan. Um, they're saying they're doing it in order not to deplete their U.S. dollar reserves, uh, and therefore they've entered into these agreements with China. But nevertheless, it's once again another country buying Chinese imports in the Chinese currency. Uh, I did see something off of another chart uh, which indicated that the Chinese uh, yuan has actually surpassed the U.S. dollar in uh, China's trade settlements with other countries. This basically means that China now is trading in its own currency with third-party countries, and it's essentially removing itself out of the dollar's uh, trading uh, uh, abilities or, or hi uh, historical necessity. Um, moving to the Ukraine, let's just touch on the fact that uh, a certain gentleman there by the name of Mr. Podoliak, who's an advisor to the uh, president of the Ukraine, he essentially said that the Crimea and the Donbass, which is the eastern part of Ukraine, will be taken back uh, even if it has to be by force and they need to essentially be completely destroyed. That's a pretty strong and far-reaching statement, and it goes to show us that once again, the uh, differences between the Russians and the Ukrainians are miles apart, and therefore I don't anticipate we'll see a, an end to this uh, war conflict anytime soon. And the last thing I'd like to touch on today, if I may, is the situation in the Sudan. Now, the Sudan is uh, in the throes of what appears to be a civil war, the specifics of which I'm not uh, well-versed in, other than the fact of what we've been told, that there's one general who's fighting another general that used to report into him. In the meantime, in the main city, the capital city of Khartoum, uh, many Europeans, and Americans for that matter, foreigners, non-Sudanese people, 
have been caught in the crossfire and they've been trying to evacuate desperately. Enter European Union, where it has failed miserably to actually secure the safety of its own citizens. The way it was handled by the EU was each country essentially for themselves. Each country had to figure out how to get its own citizens out of the Sudan. There was no concerted effort. It took a while for everybody to figure out what was going on, and that is actually reprehensible. We saw a complete failure on the EU-wide level. And this is actually alarming to me as a European because it makes me wonder how safe am I really when I travel around the world. For you Americans, it's different. You're lucky because if an American is taken, if an American is in distress somewhere in the world, the State Department stands behind their citizens. The State Department, if it has to, gets other agencies involved in order to extract their citizen from that country. Uh, Unfortunately, we did not see this at the European Union. Mario... We have to talk about this further, but we're out of time today. Uh, I will tell you the stories on the Sudan, how it affected Bill Clinton when I was with him at Camp David. Uh, But uh, thank you for the report. Thank you for bringing all Americans up to date, and we'll catch up again real soon, maybe during the week. Okay, very very well. Thank you. Enjoy your Sunday. Thank you. Uh, With us today is uh, David uh, Donovan. He's the president of the executive director of the New York State Broadcasters Association. And he is very, very much concerned what is happening in the uh, radio industry. And uh, good morning, uh, Sunday morning, uh, David. Uh, Tell us about your concerns in the broadcast industry, of which we are members. Absolutely. Well, uh, thank you, John, and and welcome, and it's a pleasure to be on uh, ABC Radio. One of the things that we have found over the last year, several years, of course, is the push to move to electronic electric vehicles. But as part of that, what is happening is that your major automobile makers, a number of them have decided to eliminate AM radio from... A dashboard. And starting in December, uh, Senator Ed Markey, who's a senior senator from Massachusetts, sent out a letter to all the automobile manufacturers and came back with companies like BMW, Ford, Tesla, VW, are all indicating that they do not want to put an AM radio in in an electric vehicle going forward. Yet at the same time, there are a number of others, Honda, Hyundai, Nissan, Kia, and others, who have an AM radio and will can have indicated that they will continue to have an AM radio on the dashboard. So the issue is why is this important? And I think it's important for a couple of reasons. One, AM radio is incredibly popular in the United States and in New York City. You have 82 million listeners, people, Americans, who listen to AM radio every week. In New York, you have 161 AM stations, which is roughly 27% of all the radio stations in New York State. And even in New York City, including your station, John, you have 27 AM stations. They provide a variety of news and information during uh, news and information, including foreign language, whether it's Hispanic on, on WADO, you have Chinese language stations, you have Korean language stations. So the vibrant fabric that is New York, in terms of news talk and in terms of sending out information, you're going to find on AM radio. 
But it actually goes even deeper. The concerns are even deeper than that. Because what people have to realize is that AM radio is the cornerstone of the emergency alert service in the United States. Right now, 99% of all radio stations in the United, AM radio stations in the United States participate in this service. FEMA and the FCC have hardened a number of these stations, about 75 to 80 of them, that are designed that if the internet goes down or if our communication systems break down, that they will be able to get emergency messages out to the people across the country. Now, in New York, you have four of what they're called PEP stations, primary entry point stations. And WABC is one of them. Um, WROW up in Albany is another one. And WHM in Rochester is another AM. Those three stations, the federal government will send out an emergency alert. They broadcast the emergency alert, and they are essentially the first domino in a chain of other dominoes in which, over time, that emergency alert filters its way all through New York State. And if you start taking AM out of um, your dashboards and you destroy the AM radio service as a result, the entire investment that you will see done by FEMA and by um, the FCC in terms of creating an emergency alert service, frankly, um, it goes down the drain. What they want to do, instead, instead of giving you a free $200 radio in your car, they want to electronically uh, dig, digit you in and charge you $9.99 a month uh, to subscribe to the radio system versus uh, uh, getting it for free on the uh, AM bands. Now, when you look at that, Suppose there's a problem with the grid. If the grid goes down, electronics go down, and, and the American people, 97% of them, will not get the emergency message. But you hit it right on the head. The reason why you want to have the tuner in the car is because when that system breaks down, the Internet or, or other systems, and we, we know how that happens. We all live through Superstorm Sandy. The direct AM reception is absolutely essential to sending out life-saving information. Thanks for listening to the Cats Roundtable. If you missed any interviews, go to thecatsroundtable.com or go to wabcradio.com. Go to the podcast. Get those segments that you missed. Have a nice Sunday.